Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. An exciting episode today. We're being joined by a man of many talents, a cultural icon, John Tesh. John, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I don't know where to start, John, to tell you the truth. You've accomplished so much in TV, in radio, music, publishing, uh, so much in life. Uh, You've been an award-winning investigative reporter. You've won Emmys for your TV work. Uh, You've hosted Olympic telecasts. You've won Grammys for your music. You've sold millions of albums and raised millions of dollars through your music. You host a popular and widely syndicated radio show with your wife, Connie Selica, and your stepson, Gib. You're also an author. So I guess the the first question, John, is when the hell do you sleep? I actually don't sleep. It's uh, it's the funniest thing. In fact, my I, I slept for six hours last night. My wife's like, wow, that's amazing. I, I, but I think... I, I used to sleep, but I think part of the reason is that, that I'm, I'm like I'm like you guys. I've been uh, uh, we've I've had a lot of body parts taken out, right? <laughs> and so I have to. <laughs> I, I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, what? Anybody else up? You know, I have to I have to pee again. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, that's a long way of saying uh, I, I I don't sleep. John, uh, we'll get into the body parts that are missing and, and what you've accomplished in life. But I don't care what you do or what you've done. In my memory of John Tesh, you will always be known for, I mean, that just to me bleeds and drips John Tesh. I'm sorry. Isn't it? And and it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. You know, when you, when you look at, uh, if you talk to people like John Williams or Hans Zimmer, you know, any of the David Foster, any of these guys, you know, they'll tell you about their songwriting uh, procedure, right? Uh, their process that I mean, it's in the book. You've probably seen it on, uh, you know, on YouTube, or whatever. But that that song was just like, hey, I, I heard that NBC is looking for a theme for their for their uh, basketball coverage. I got to think up something. And then in the middle of the night when I'm covering, I was covering another sporting event. I called up. I just true story. I called up my answering machine. You always have to explain that to people if you're telling a story in con- concert. A what? And I left that a message for my uh, for my answering machine. <laughs> you know, and I got back home, put the put the thing on my piano, figured out the chords, and I said, "Ah, this might be interesting." Set it at 133 beats a minute, which was a, a Michael Jordan fast break. I had some friends who played uh, who played uh, uh, musical instruments. I mean, as in violins and cellos and stuff, and mixed it up, sent it to Dick Ebersol, and he said, "Yeah, this will work." I mean, it's like like the shortest road to something like that ever. John, do you know? I I actually hear that, and you. I hope you're aware of this because you should be getting royalties. It used to be on the NBA on NBC. I hear that song now for college basketball. Yeah, and it's a really funny story because. When ABC got the, uh, they got the NBA, just because I'm relentless, you know, I called them up and said, I said, Hey, uh, would you, you know, I own the publishing on this song. You know, are you interested? No, no, no. We want a whole different sound. And I said, this is when I was in entertainment tonight. And I said, I could probably get Billy Joel, Eric Clapton and Elton John to play on the track. It'll be like a, you know, real publicity stunt type thing. And no, no, no. We're good. And so this, so the song became, uh, it was, it was a, it was a passive song for a while until people started learning to play it and posting them playing it on, on YouTube. So there's like people playing it with, 
the in nose flutes and, and ukuleles and kazoos and millions of views on this thing. And so it sort of lit up again. And then the guys at, at Fox, who used to be at CBS back in the day, called up and said, hey, can we use this for college basketball? And, of course, I said, sure, I'd love for it to have a, you know, another home. And you can't believe how many people tweeted out, you know, how dare you, John, give this to This is I know, it's like, <laughs> hey, I got grandkids I got to feed. You know, what, the, what do you want from me? Get out of my face. <laughs> and the song actually has a name. It's called Round Ball Rock. Right. Now, right. John, you were not commissioned to write that song, where you just decided to submit it? Well, to be honest, I, I had a little bit, I cheated a little bit. And that is that I, I, the most ridiculous thing is that I still can't name six NBA teams, but, but Terry O'Neill and, and Van Gordon Sauter back, back in 1981, I was at CBS News in New York and they called up and said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to restart our whole, we want to, we want to go after wide world of sports with Jim McKay. Would you come work for us? And I said, I, I don't, I can't name, you know, the four baseball teams. I'm a fan, but you know, and so they said, no, 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 where, where we'll send you, you know, people don't even know, know the rules. And sure enough, they were right. I said yes to the, to the job offer because I'm nuts. And I ended up covering speed skating and downhill, downhill skiing and Olympic gymnastics and all the rest of that stuff. But they always needed themes for that, for those things. And so, like producer David Michaels, who was producing the Tour de France, and he's also an Olympic producer, would say, hey, I need like two hours of music for the weekend. I'm like, come on. You know, that's why I had like my synthesizers all, you know. So I, I already knew the guys. I didn't know anybody at NBC, but I knew all the guys, you know, in, in that sports world. And so when you find out that they're looking for a theme and they haven't gotten to John Williams and the Hans Zimmer yet – uh, uh, that, that's how I knew. And so I sent, I sent in a demo, but when I sent the demo in, I didn't send in a little cassette. I sent in a VHS tape and on the tape, it was mixed with a, with an orchestra that I paid for. And, and also with, uh, I, I pretended to be Marv Albert, right? Brought to you by, and, and, uh, and then I, um, I sent the whole tape with with basketball footage to the guys at NBC, so they saw it fully formed, understanding that that's the way they think. You know what I mean? So I, it, and I made it easy for them to say, "Why should we look anyplace else? This is perfect. It's all matched to video, and it all works." And he, the guy even sounds like Marv Albert. John, I I read your book Relentless, and and that word that theme seems to describe your whole life, not just as an adult, but as a kid as well. You've had to overcome a lot. We'll get into a lot more uh, a little later. You've had to overcome a lot. So, so where do you think that comes from, that relentless nature? Do you think it's innate? Is it a learned behavior? What, what's its origin for you, at least? Mostly not having a choice in most, in most situations. I was born in 1952 uh, on Long Island, right? And where everybody was in a garage band. For, I mean, it's like, you know, Billy Joel and, you know, all those guys are, you know, uh, all in, in bands on Long Island, you know, competing for, for the, to play in the Catskills and the Atlantic Beach Club. And so everybody wanted to be a musician. But my father, uh, you know, I have two older sisters, 10 and 11 years older than me. And so when I came along, it was like, oh, gosh, again, you know. And so we had a finished basement. And so I spent a lot of time in the basement. But my father was a World War II hero that, who, who was the chief petty officer uh, on an amphibious assault craft, USS Panamint, off the coast of Okinawa in World War II. And so his job uh, for his time there was basically with a pair of field glasses was to call in the artillery uh, on the Japanese zeros and kamikazes that were trying to kill him and everybody in the fleet. And so by the time he got home, I, I never remember him without a scotch in his right hand and a Kent cigarette in his left. And so he was a tough guy. If you've ever seen, uh, 
if you ever seen the great Santini with uh, with uh, with Robert Duvall, Duvall he, yeah, he, he was he was Duvall. He was that guy, right? And so it didn't didn't matter what trophy you showed up with or what what accomplishment. It was like what's next. But anyway, he was a tough guy, and so I, and I was a little peewink. I mean, I was I, I, I weigh I'm six six. I weigh two twenty five now, right? So I'm a big boy. But I was in 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 junior high. I was this height, six six, and I weighed one hundred fifty five pounds. So Jeez. I was I know I was really I couldn't go out for football because I couldn't get insured. And so I played the small sports. I played, you know, I, I played soccer and I was a high jumper in lacrosse and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and I spent a lot of time in my, in the basement, you know, making radio shows and, and, and just doing goofy stuff trying to get noticed, right? Cause nobody, I didn't have any dates. And, and the great thing is, is that when you're not popular, you got nothing else to do but just try and learn how to do something. And so that's really what it was for, for me was I just didn't have a, I didn't have a choice but to try and, try and dig my way out. There were just, it was as Brene Brown called, calls it, I had the gift of imperfection back then. John, can you walk us through, and uh, we get to the bulk of the matter here, something that changed your life like uh, no other, changed my life. Two years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer out of nowhere. Uh, one day, I'm the healthiest man alive, and the next day, I've got cancer. Can you walk us through your diagnosis? How did you find out? When did you find out? Well, what was what was the first feeling that you had when you got the news? I'll never forget it. I was sitting in my bathroom ready to go to work. I, I worked for the Denver Nuggets, and I was going to host a pregame show. And I just wanted to melt in my bathroom and stay there because I had cancer, and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't move. That was the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I had, I had uh, non-PSA producing uh, prostate cancer, meaning – for those who don't know what the, what the bunch of us here are talking about, is that I I, I got a uh, I, I got a prostate test you know at least once a year and for five years uh, uh, leading up to 2015, May of 2015, my my PSA was a 0.4, which means there's nothing going nothing to see here nothing going on with your prostate right now You're, everything is cool, but then uh, in the last the last exam of my a GP. He, he did the uh, he did the digital rectal exam, which he always does. And he said, wait, there's something going on here. And I'm like, what? that's what you really want to hear from your doctor yeah, yeah. <laughs> or oops, you don't want to hear that either. And and uh, something there's something going on here ended up being a biopsy. And 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 like you, I had what's known as Gleason. Uh, they, they grade the tumors. And you and I both uh, hit the jackpot because we had Gleason 9s. And, mm -hmm. and that Gleason 9 means um, this cancer in your prostate right now is probably climbing out even as we speak into the rest of your engine room, into the rest of your uh, rest of your body. And so, yeah, it was, I, it was the same feeling. It was like uh, I got hit in the head with a, with a, a two by four. And I was alone when, when a lot of this happened, because I, 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 the first thing I had was I was trying to keep it from my wife because we were going on vacation and not a smart move. And so, uh, uh, this biopsy and all the rest of the stuff, we, I, I started reading this book by Patrick Walsh called surviving prostate cancer, which mm -hmm. is still available. I think he's, he's updated it. Read the same one. Right. But in the book, uh, at the time before it was updated, he wasn't even talking about Gleason nines because people with that kind of, of cancer, they back in the day, they didn't operate because yeah. they, it was, it would release the cancer, you know, everywhere. He'd be dead. Right. So we, <laughs> I did what I always do, right? As I talked my way in, I, I cold called Patrick Walsh and his, um, and his assistant says, uh, well, who is this? And I said, well, how, my name is, uh, is John Tesh. I'm a journalist. I pulled that card. And, uh, and I'd like to talk to, uh, to Dr. Walsh about prostate cancer. And so she goes, well, he only comes in because he was retired. Uh, and he goes, he only comes in on, on Thursday and he's in today. So 
I, I don't know. Let me see if he's uh, available. I said, oh, I really appreciate that. Uh, and so he gets on the call and he starts coming. He says, I'm John Tesh. I'm, I'm, I'm a journalist. I wanted to talk to you about prostate cancer. And so I started asking him questions. And then after the second question, he goes, you're a journalist who has prostate cancer, aren't you? you know? <laughs> and so busted. And so when I when when uh, we got fit through with the conversation, he said, there's only one guy that I know that can save your life. And I, I trained him. His name is Dr. Ted Schaefer, Johns Hopkins. And he uh, treats ag- uh, aggressive prostate cancer aggressively. But uh, I, what I did was I became a cancer patient at that moment. And I started checking on the insurance. And because the guys at, at, um, at the local hospital here, after the biopsy in the meeting with me and my wife, Connie, um, he said, I can, I can give you like 18 months to 20, uh, 20 months to live. And so I, I went into let me save my family mode is, is what I did. You know, oh, hold on a second. When they gave you that 18 months to 20, did you have any knowledge of the cancer spreading beyond the capsule? Was there any anything beyond the prostate wall at that point? No, because it was just the it was just the uh, it was just the biopsy. Right. So they were they were they were just, just based on that. Right. But, but there was something in the biopsy that, that made it look like because it was non-PSA producing cancer, they, they were afraid that it might be small cell, uh, which apparently spreads quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a death sentence. Heavy diagnosis when you yeah. get that from a biopsy. That's for sure. Are you clean now, John? I am. But we and I haven't talked about this because I'm not really uh, I'm not you know fond of being uh, uh, honest about this on, on the air because I don't want to freak people out but uh, what happened was yes I, I and because not because of the treatment and because of uh, these amazing scriptures that we landed on uh, my wife and I, uh, I I I I was healed and I was convinced I was healed and, and scans and everything showed but about I don't know about right in the middle of covid right about 4 months ago 5 months ago all of a sudden, I started getting this swelling in my right leg, and we thought it was uh, lymphedema. You know, which is when all your when your for people who don't know when when they take out your uh, your lymph nodes, and, and a lot of f- fluid will build up, and it looked like that was going on. So I started getting treatment for that, but I was just in an enormous amount of pain, guys. I mean, I would. I, I would I'd wake up at two o'clock. I couldn't lay down. I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I'd sleep like with my head on a on a table, like you know, still standing up because I couldn't sleep. And finally, my wife said, "You're going for a scan," and so I did. And it turned out that there was a tumor that one of these little things that was left behind, right? Because sometimes there's stuff that's left behind, and it had landed on my nerve root. Uh, right, right near my femoral artery on my right leg, uh, and it was growing and it was paralyzing my right leg. And within three weeks, pain was gone and the tumors had shrunk. And so it was, uh, it was like a, a maintenance thing. But it was more suffering, you know, more tests, more biopsies, and all the, you know, and all the rest of that stuff. And that's that's one of the things that that I, I hope people take away from the book is that, you know, you got to understand that 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 um, in this life, right? First of all, God wants you well. Uh, the other guy doesn't, but God wants you well. And, and the thing is that suffering can be part of the deal. You know, it, it's, it, it's, you have to figure out how you embrace suffering. So I read a lot of books on suffering, you know, and the chief among them was um, Viktor Frankl's The Man's Search for Meaning. He's the Holocaust survivor. John, you've mentioned scripture. You've mentioned God. You, you and Connie are people of faith, the Christian faith, to be precise. And, and you do believe that that faith has helped you become healthier, correct? Yeah, yes, um but it's not the kind of faith that I had when I was growing up in the in the in the in the church. My parents ran the church when I was growing up on on Long Island. 
Because the way I was taught was you have to beg God. And if God, if, if it's God's will, then you'll be healed. But when I got sick, we ran into some teachings from people like Barry Bennett and Andrew Womack at Karis Bible School. And all they teach is, is, is healing and what's in the Bible regarding healing. And we landed on this scripture, which is in the book, Mark 11, uh, 11, 13, which is whoever says, 11.23, sorry. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will be done, shall have whatever he says. Therefore, whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive it and you shall have it. In the words of Jesus. And there's, and, and, it was, and so many of these scriptures came alive in my life, which is that, hey, listen, you know, it may be a battle, but understand that the promise is, is, is healing, that God wants you well. And so that's one of the reasons why you need to fight. And you've been fighting because the fight never ends. That's the thing about cancer, right? And, and unless you can obviously understand this, even when you fight it and beat it, the fact that you know you have it is a fight, right? A mental fight. For you, John, mentally or physically, what was tougher? What's been tougher? First of all, uh, I'm grateful for this conversation. I, 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 haven't, uh, I haven't had a conversation like this with, with like-minded men, right? Um, which was tougher. Uh, I, I think that I, I don't do well with, with, with nausea. If you want to, if you mm-hmm. want to take me out, yeah. you know, to, you know, do that. And when we, when I was going through chemo, it was a, it was a rough ride. My, my, my sister, uh, Bonnie, she had, she had lung cancer and, and, uh, but she was such a heavy, heavy duty smoker and, and didn't have much of a, much of a chance, but she said the same thing, you know, <laughs> years before I was diagnosed, she said, she said, I just can't take the, uh, the, the nauseousness. Um, and I, I don't think, I don't think I would have made it if it wasn't for Connie, you know, you gotta have that, that person next to you shoulder to shoulder. And she just dropped every, she's a famous actress and has a, you know, we got grandkids that she wants to spend time with. And she just stopped everything and became my advocate. In fact, at a certain point, the surgeon just turned to her and he was dead serious. And he said, are you in the um, are you in the medical field? Because she knew so much about prostate cancer, you know. So if it wasn't for her, uh, I mean, faith is faith is wonderful. But but when you're really, really sick and you guys know this, it's just tough to sort of it's just tough to even pray. And you got to have that person who's going to say when, when they t- this is in the book. But when they took that when I had a complication after the surgery and, and they took that NG tube and they shoved it up my nose and a blood spurting out of my nose. And they're saying, hey, Mr. Tesh, swallow this tube and you're swallowing the tube. So it enters your, your stomach. I, my wife was in front of me and, the, and you can see these three or four nurses. And, the, and the, you become hyper aware, right? Of course. And you're looking at their faces and they're saying, these people are looking at a dead man. Yeah. And I looked at my wife and I said, Connie, please kill me. You know, and, and that, and when I recorded the audio book and, and, and got to that part in the story and Connie was uh, directing, uh, directing me, we had to take a break and come back the next day because um, there, there are those moments that you'll never forget. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus, a world-class medical destination at the forefront of education, science, medicine, and healthcare, right in the center of the Rocky Mountain region.
John, I have a selfish question to ask because I know we have a lot of prostate cancer patients who are listening to this podcast and want some education on this. Sure. So I was 49 when I was diagnosed, okay? Really, really young. And like you, Gleason 9, and I thought, let's go straight to surgery. I'm not even going to think twice about anything else. I had it surgically removed like you did. I had 31 lymph nodes removed. They went crazy there. They, they tore everything out. Great. And then I was told, well, let's just sit back and wait. Uh, you're fine. We're not going to throw radiation at you right now. We're just going to sit back and wait. You did the same. You waited. Same thing. Why did you choose that route? And how long before it reemerged? How did you know? Well, um, first of all, uh, the, the good news is that prostate cancer is the slowest growing um, uh, cancer, right? Adenocarcinoma. And a lot of times when they say, when they say wait is, is because it's a, it's, it's a smart thing to do. And I had had friends that it had, uh, when they discovered a couple of lymph nodes in my gut, um, about three years after I had the, had the surgery, um, my wife and I had had, the, had been studying the healing scriptures and we had the, we really had the revelation that it was over. But when you get the radiation, you're not only when they went through the they went through the list of contraindications of what's going to we're going to do uh, we're going to do like two months with 57 treatments. We're going to carpet bomb, you know, they'll have this 3D carpet bombing of your pelvis. And so they went through this thing where you may, may lose bladder function, you may lose bowel function. And when they got to the uh, to, to the stuff that I really wanted to keep in that area, I looked at my wife and we're like, ah, let's try something else. <laughs> I'm really good. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I said no to radiation, because it just it, I just knew. It was just such a, you know, such a, a dis destruction. And if I had taken the radiation, I probably wouldn't have had the treatment that uh, that, that I just recently uh, went through. Because, you know, the, the the great news about about a lot of these cancers is that there are actually people who are studying this, right? Right. And so the the immunotherapy, uh, you know, the the you know un understanding better ways to 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 deal with it. And and my doctor, he's amazing. And 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 his whole thing is he comes at it as quality of life. And, and I was just like you, I was like, you know, let's just get this out, right? That might not be the right choice, you know, and that's why it's really good to get a lot of different opinions, especially opinions of people. We, I mean, listen, not a month goes by when a couple doesn't call us and say, because we put it out there and say, hey, can you talk to us about, because there are, there are many situations where uh, couples, it happened to uh, ben, uh, ben Stiller, where he and his wife broke up. You know, I mean, it, that happens sure. a lot. John, it's a couple's disease. It doesn't affect yeah, just you. It is a, yes, that's a that's yeah. a great way to say it. Yeah, and let's. I, I'm going to take a hard right turn here, but I still want to talk about family. Well, okay, yeah, John? And, and I also want to get back to what what your treatment is right right now, uh, and what you, what what they're what they're recommending in the future because I might be able to be of some service. I don't well, know. yeah, I mean, that's something that you know. I, I'm just sort of waiting for that other shoe to drop, right? You know, because you you're Gleason nine. You, I feel like I'm a walking time bomb. That's what I feel like right now. Well, you live from scan to scan, guys. I, I'm going through it, too. Yeah, you know, and I can only speak from a prostate cancer patient perspective. When they tell you you're Gleason 9, John, and that you just go from scan to scan, it's not It's not if I'm going to have it reemerge. It feels like when for me. Yeah, is that yeah. fair? It is, but there's there's also this great scripture, uh, in, again, in, in, in the book of, uh, of Romans, which, uh, which is, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And that's what really saved me, where I was able to actually take the thought of cancer out of my, I actually, I had to work on it, but I was actually able to erase that and, and to replace it with the vision of me living to 102. That's the number I have in my, I, wow. I saw the number 102 on a water bottle. <laughs> And I said, the water bottle spoke to me. And I said, it's 102, I'm going to be Abraham, you know. But, yeah, they're, they're renewing your mind thing because, it, yes, it, it's that 2 o'clock wake-up call where you're like, uh, your spouse is next to you and you're like, um, they're still sleeping. And it's like, okay, I'm thinking about cancer right you know, right, right now. And so uh, I, I totally get what you're talking about. I'm going to take that hard right turn. Okay, now. sorry about that. <laughs> that. No, that's fine. That's fine. Hey, you're, you and your family do a daily radio show. Uh, it's called Intelligence for Your Life. Uh, it's got a little bit of everything, music, life advice, um, you talking about current events, et cetera. Even with all the radio stations and radio shows out there, your show seems to be a, a little bit different. Why do you think it's caught on so well? I mean, you're syndicated to, to hundreds of radio stations around the country in the U.S., Armed Forces Network, et cetera. Why do you think it's caught on? It may be because people, I think people sense that, that I really enjoy it, A, and B, that I'm codependent. And I am codependent. If you come to one of my concerts, you'll see how codependent I am. I'm always, you know, trying to figure out what the audience wants. And I was codependent as a, as, as a little kid. And so I, I, I actually have that, I feel that mantle of, we have 10 researchers, right? So they're always trying to find the latest way to, to if our, our battle cry is if it doesn't move you forward in your life, if it doesn't cause you to make a difference in somebody else's life, we won't put it on the radio. No politics, no entertainment, no birthdays, no, no you know, not, none of that stuff. It's just, so when I get this in front of me every day, I have to decide, okay, what, I vet every one of those pieces to figure out what, you know, what it's going to be. And they're only like a minute 30, a minute 45, maybe two minutes if I'm doing it with, with Gib. What is it about this piece that's going to be transformative, right? And, and so I think people sense that, that they're, that, that, and even 12 year olds are a large group, a large uh, area of growth for us where they realize that they can use a piece to to impress their their friend or so, or or something like that. So I think people just under, understand that I'm using it for my life, right? And maybe maybe that's why it's caught caught on. The other thing is, again, we couldn't, you know, I, I, like I couldn't get anybody to sign me as a recording artist. We couldn't get anybody to sign on to the radio show because they they looked at, it looked like it was too expensive, and it was too goofy. And I'm trying to what is it? Intelligence for your life? That's way too long. I think so. We are we are an independent, and so we 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 sell our show to to Cumulus stations and iHeart and intercom and all that stuff and we've been we've been you know approached to buy that show or, or at least invest in our show but we understand if that if we're ag agnostic uh, and we're not political but if we're agnostic about about our our, our information um and, and and we're on a lot of secular stations but and i don't i don't even share my faith on, on these on these stations but they understand that the person that is that is broadcasting to them and his whole family these are these are christians who are informed by and led by what they're going to put on the air that's going to be safe for me. Uh, John, I'm just going to leave you something simple. I, I want to thank you because cancer in general is awful. Prostate cancer is embarrassing for men to reveal yeah, yeah. because it comes with urinary dysfunction. It comes with sexual dysfunction. It's just dysfunction with a capital D. And men don't want to talk about it. So whenever somebody like you comes out openly and not only discusses it but goes into the weeds on it, I can't tell you how much good that does for the prostate cancer family out there so i want to thank you for that first and foremost 
I, I appreciate that. And I, and I, I just want to send a, a quick message to the to the uh, women out there who, who are going through this. Uh, because, I mean, you said it well before, you know, they're going through it together. But the women who are going through this with your uh, with their their husbands, uh, boyfriends, you know, whatever. I, I have a thriving sex life and, and a lot has been done to me. And so uh, what's really important is just being smart. And 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 not, if, if the moment you become a prostate cancer patient, then it's over. You really have to understand that, that there's some really there's some there's some smart um, things that you, that, that, that you can do to get, to get healed in all areas. And, and, and that's, that's for the ladies out there where, where it's like, you know, it's a, it's a really tough thing and your guy's not going to want to talk about it. And, and he may not even want to have sex, whatever it is, but, um, but you gotta, if this is the time for you to lead the way. John, a little too much information, if you ask me. No, I'm kidding. You know, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm kidding. I, I, I sort of, I sort of. No. Hey, I feel you, brother. Trust me. Should we, do you want to talk specifics? Because we can talk specifics. You know. No, hey, look, this is the time of the podcast where where we ask our guest if if he or she would like to promote something. I'm afraid to ask you because we might be here for another hour. No, so no, are there no. are there two or three things? And I know you've got a podcast as well. Are there two or three things? You would like to uh, promote before we let you go? No, I think I mean you've mentioned the the, the book, which is I mean, uh, you know, when Harper Collins came to me, they knew that you know we're all busy, right? And they said that you know we'll we'll, we'll get a um, uh, we'll get a ghostwriter to you know to help you. And what you can do is you know, you just talk with him on the phone, and then he'll record that, and then he'll write stuff out, and then you can approve it and do some editing and stuff. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. So I did that and I did it for about a month. And then I realized he was a great guy and everything. Very smart. Wrote some great books. But I realized it just wasn't I, – I, I wasn't in it. It wasn't your voice. It wasn't my voice. And, yeah. and, and, and so I stopped. And then I read like – I've read so many, so many memoirs because it's, it's almost like, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't see a car commercial unless you're actually in the market for a, for a, for a new car. But, uh, the book that really transformed me is such a great book. And, and it's like, really is a book by Stephen King. He wrote his memoir and it's called On Writing. He wrote it in 2008. I've read, I've read it and listened to it at least three times. It is a brilliant book. It's not just about, you know, uh, gerunds and participles and the rest that it's in sentence structure. It's his story, uh, written in that, in that great descriptive quality that, that, that Stephen King has. And when I wrote that, I realized I can do this, you know, and, and it was so, it was so good for me. And my son is always laughing at me because he says, yeah, yeah. He says, you, you, you had to, I wrote, I mean, I wrote it on my phone. I wrote it on my computer. I wrote it by hand. Um, but yeah, but it's all, it's all me in there. So if anybody wants to, 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 to figure out how, how you get your life back after shooting yourself in the foot, that's. That's the no, no, I, I have a number of friends who are authors who actually have, have recommended that book to me as well. Uh, yeah, and how yeah. how is your health right now? Um, my health is okay. I go in for a scan uh, in a little bit to see. I'm I'm on two targeted therapies, and so far they have knocked down the cancer uh, and are controlling it very well. And I'm living a fairly normal life. A couple of annoying side effects, but other than that, I'm I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking, by the way. Right. And how is your family with it? Um, like Connie, my wife Paula is an absolute rock. Um, she takes care of everything, the insurance, the finances, all of that, while I, uh, while I sit and I just try and concentrate on getting better. Right. And how, and, and how do you start uh, every day? I mean, did you, when you got diagnosed, there's a part, there's a part in the book called Pity Party where I became yeah. a cancer patient and, and, uh, and I was drinking scotch and chase, chasing it with Vicodin because I could get everything. And finally, when my wife was 
almost literally like whack snap out of it. How did you deal with it? Well, at the beginning, um, you guys talked about your reactions when you first um, heard it and felt it. Um, I probably spent about a month um, hosting my own pity party. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I had somewhat of an out-of-body experience because I had never uh, – I, I wasn't a drinker. I wasn't a smoker. I didn't do drugs. Uh, I worked out almost every day. Uh, I couldn't believe this was me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe I was the one who contracted stage four lung cancer. Um, but after about a month, month and a half, I decided, you know what? Screw this. I'm getting back in the gym. I'm a defiant son of a bitch, and I'm going to show the big C that it ain't beating me. And, and that's what I've been doing ever since. I've just been defiant about the whole thing. At, at times, it works against me because I try to do too much, um, and, I, and I fatigue myself. Right. But in the end, I feel like I'm fighting it by telling it it's not going to beat me. Amen. John, in, in lesson I have spoken about this, I wanted to get your thoughts. I, I've completely altered my diet. I mean, I went from a guy who I ate whatever the hell I wanted because I figured I worked out every day. I can afford to eat whatever I I now eat a pretty strict – I'm not a full vegan or vegetarian, but I've never eaten so many salads and plants and vegetables in my life. And I'm still popping ding-dongs every yeah, day. Well, yeah, we're different uh, at that. How about you, John? I, I, <laughs> I was keto for a while, uh, and, and I really looked like, uh, I looked like a cancer patient. And I just said – and Connie said, ah, because Connie and, and Gabe are both keto, and they're, and they're great. But my wife is an amazing cook. And, and so, uh, she decided, hey, you know, I like you, I, I'm going to fatten you up, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't, I, I, I gosh, she said ding dongs that really lit me up. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I eat, uh, 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 Lombardi, you'll, I, I, I like, uh, panettone. I, I eat a lot of panettone. Oh my God. Don't say that <laughs> it's been a long time, John. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I love what you said though. When you said you were defiant, I mean, that is so awesome. You know, I, I want to give. I'm going to give you a t- not you guys a tip, but people who are who are listening. I do this thing, and my son Gib laughs at me. My day is, I mean, I have to record and I have to do the rest of this stuff. But uh, but there there are times when I sneak out and exercise. I, I used to do the thing where it was like you exercise for 45 minutes or an hour at the beginning of the day. I don't do that anymore. I use, I use, I actually heard Ashton Kutcher talk about this once where I exercise all day. So it's like, you know, 10 minutes here, eight minutes there, whatever. And I, and I keep, I keep track of it all, but I always have, um, an AirPod in my ear and, and I, there, there are these, there are these videos that people have created on YouTube called, it's like motivation hub and motivation this. Or if you just search motivation, you know, and I've made these playlists and it's every, it's everybody from Les Brown to Tony Robbins to, you know, any of these guys and, and some people you've never even heard of that are motivational speakers, you know, Jocko Willink, the great Navy SEAL, David Goggins, who's nuts, who runs like 120 mile races and it's put to music. And so I have that. It's like, it's like, come on, you got to get up. You got to do this. You got to, you got to be defiant, you know, using words like that, you know? And so I, all day, it's just, I'm being encouraged all all day and that's what i had to do too is i had to get in the gym and you know and um because uh, I've been just, I beat myself to death when I played lacrosse at state. And, and so I can't run anymore, right? Everything's just all broken. So I'm, I'm the kettlebell guy because I, I read a Tim Ferriss book, right? So I'm always swinging those, uh, those, those, those kettlebells. But, but I'm going to, that's going to be in my brain from now on is, uh, forget about relentless, it's defiance. I mean, that's, that's the only way to beat cancer is to be defiant in Jesus' name. Well, John, really appreciate the talk. Um, loved having you on. It was great, and, uh, and we wish you a lot of good luck going forward with your health and with everything else you've got on your plate. Thanks, John. 
Yeah, yeah, and I just, I just, if, you know, if, if if I could close this from my end on with, with anything, it would be, you know, that that the the definition of of defiant is basically just this is not you're not going to have me. This is you will not. I will not stop. I I'm going to be relentless, persistent. I'm going to be. I'm going to have grit, and just being able to visualize to see yourself well. Right. That's what I, that's what, that's a huge part of this is, is to see yourself well and understand that it's a, it, it's a battle and that people have been there before. Thank you, John. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable Stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable Podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today 